Thanks for checking out the Airborne Youth Podcast. This week you'll be hearing a teaching from Ben Evenson. It's a Wonderful Life is this old movie. I know you guys are all like, I'm checked out. It's an old movie. I don't care. It's about this guy who's in this town and he runs this little bank of some kind or the trust company or something like this. And he's like kind of done all this stuff and worked his whole life and really been a good guy and all this. And something really bad happens. Some money gets lost and he ends up getting blamed by the bank and he's going to go to jail for it. And he's all worried about his family. This is like Christmas time, of course, you know, because all these Christmas movies happen around Christmas time. And the movie is called It's a Wonderful Life. And this guy gets in this whole situation where he's going to jail. He's like, he's worried about his kids and his family and his friends. He's worried about the town because there's this really evil dude who's been trying to take over the town forever. And he's never been able to because this one good guy in the town. Am I correct, those of you that have seen the movie? Okay. I read the cliff notes. I could write an essay on this. Anyway. um, So, yeah, I could. Anyway. So, he does this whole deal. And he starts talking about, like, committing suicide. Starts thinking, like, I just can't go on with this thing. And... It's a wonderful life. Well, right. He decides that they'd be better off without him, okay? Like, that usually is, like, thoughts of, like, without me means I'm not here, which means, right? So he gets real depressed about the situation and the whole deal. And it's kind of like this little, you know, you got the whole, um, oh, what's the other one? The, The Christmas Carol where the ghosts come and tell, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge. So this ghost named Clarence comes to visit this guy. Angel. Whatever. Holy Ghost. Angel. Whatever. Okay, work with me. He comes and he goes and he shows this guy what the whole city would be like if he had never been a book, never been around and never wasn't and if he wasn't there. And he begins to look and see that everyone around him that he loves so much is miserable and having this, you know, and it's one of these like, oh, and then he gets this whole revelation and understanding that really it's, it's amazing the lives and all that that he's touched and that, you know, it's a wonderful life. And he begins to understand that though his circumstances in the moment do not say it's a wonderful life, he comes to a place of knowing that despite the circumstances it's a wonderful life. Does that make sense? So my challenge, my encouragement to you guys, okay, is that your it is actually a wonderful life for you regardless of what your circumstances look like right now or five years from now or even 30 years from now. The reason it is a wonderful life, and you can declare that for every day that you exist, is because God knows what he's doing. Does that make sense? God actually knows what he's doing. And when you look at stories like this, that it's actually very true. Because I could say about pretty much, I, well, every one of you that I know in this room, if you were not in existence in the world, my world wouldn't be as good. How about that, right? Come on. So here's the deal. So if, and I don't know most of you really, really, really well, but I say like if you're here, you're part of what we're doing and we've made some kind of, I assume there's other people in the world who have experienced you and their world is more wonderful because you exist, all right? I'm not just puffing you up like, wow, you're super. I'm actually seriously meaning that your existence is on purpose and God knows what he's doing. Now, do our circumstances always line up and match that reality? 
No. So we do not judge the world and our life and our everything based on what's happening right now and how we feel. Right? Seriously. Because you can walk outside right now in a t-shirt and shorts and go, it's cold. But guess what? In Australia, it's summer right now and like 98 degrees and humid. So listen. Is it actually cold? It just happens to be cold where you are experiencing, but it doesn't mean that that is an eternal premise that is existing everywhere at all times. So when you feel like your life currently, God isn't showing up in my situation, so God must not exist, is, a, I, I hate to you know, offend, is a stupid statement because God doesn't exist based on your experience. Because just because you aren't feeling, seeing, hearing, whatever, and I'm not saying that you won't, but at any point in our life, I think every one of us that have heard God, felt God, experienced God, know God, have had seasons when we've been like, where are you? But guess what? It didn't mean he wasn't. Ever. Because somewhere nearby, he was doing and working in incredible and amazing phenomenal ways all over the place. So I want to go back to some Bible and talk about this because I get very excited about Christmas, not even because of the tree and the presents, and I love every bit of all of that, okay? I love the tree. I love putting the lights up, and I like decorating the house and all that stuff. I haven't had a lot of time to do it this year, but we're getting there. But I love all that part of it. But what I absolutely get thrilled and excited about is the intricacies of what God did that brought about this holiday that we get to go like trees and presents and off of school, right? At least that you've got to love Christmas for. You get time off school, right? You're like, yes, this is good, right? So listen, listen, I was kind of like reviewing some of the Bible, like the Bible account of the Christmas story. And I know last year, most of you have heard me talk about all the different things about, you know, the angels and the shepherds and the star and the blah, blah. There's all these dynamics and every single detail of the Christmas story has this crazy prophetic background history, the wise men, where they came from and all this stuff. And I'm not going to review all that tonight, but I found this other little nugget that caught me recently that I just like went, oh my gosh, God knew what he was doing. All right. And you're going to pick it up almost immediately because this is what happens. A guy named Samuel, you've heard of him in the Old Testament. This is, happens in the book of 1 Samuel. That's ironic, right? Okay. Samuel was this little boy who was born miraculously because his mom couldn't have a baby. And she said to God, she said, if you give me a son, I'll commit him to you for his entire life. And God says, all right, I like your spirit. He's like, I, you've got some, you know, the, the, some chutzpah, as the Jews would say, all right? So he goes, you're going to have a son. She has a son named Samuel, and she dedicates him to the Lord. Now, this might sound evil and awful to you, but when you look at what God was doing and how God knew what it was, she essentially brought him to the temple when he was, like, weaned off of breastfeeding and all that kind of stuff and grown up, like, and gave him into the service of the temple to the priests, and he learned to live in the temple and to work in the temple and to be a priest under the Lord, to pray and this and that. And God called him when he was a little boy. Audibly in the middle of the night, Samuel's laying in bed. You know this whole story? And all of a sudden he hears Samuel. And he runs over to Eli, the big high, high priest. And he goes, what do you want, sir? You know, like 
you can picture a little. He might have been like, I don't know, five, six. We don't know exactly how old. He was young. He runs over, and Eli, or Eli's like, shut up. Go to bed. I'm sleeping. I didn't call you. He goes back to bed, and he hears, Samuel. He's like, goes back to Eli. Yeah, what do you need? He goes, are you kidding me? You know, like, have your parents ever been annoyed in the middle of the night when you bug them? Like, it's that one of those moments, right? And Eli finally goes, oh. he said, go back to bed. And if you hear it again, say, yes, Lord, your servant is listening. And he goes back, he answers, and God talks to Samuel and calls him to be a prophet, which is a huge deal. Huge deal in the Old Testament because there weren't a lot of them, and they had a very high-stakes job because if they screwed up, they got stoned to death. Praise the Lord that the cross shifted things, and now y'all are prophets, and we aren't going to stone you if you make a mistake. How about that? That's a pretty good deal. Does this make sense? Something shifted because the Spirit of God did not just go, ooh, I pick you, and I pick you, and you're going to speak for me. Now the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and he just goes, blah, 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 and you go, okay. Like, for real, this is a real shift that happened at the cross of Christ when the Holy Spirit came. This is, like, big, right? So Samuel's a prophet, grows up to be this old man, and he is the prophet of God. God speaks to him all the time. He gets kind of a bad reputation around the world because prophets back in those days would typically go to a city and be like, you're about to be burned, destroyed, and killed for your sin. Like, for real, that was like the prophet's job, and you can imagine how popular he was, you know. But this was part of the deal. So, like, God one day, he's talking to him in Samuel 16, and, the, and God says, I want you to go to a little city to the house of Jesse. You ever heard of Jesse before in the Bible? Anybody know where Jesse happened to live? You should easily. Bethlehem. Hold on. Freeze for a second. This was in, this was, listen, this was in 10, oh gosh, how many years was this? About 1040 B.C., so a thousand years before Jesus lived, in a little town called Bethlehem, God sent Samuel to a guy named Jesse who had some boys, some sons. And God said, I want you to go to his house, and you're going to anoint one of Jesse's sons as the next king of Israel. Okay, hold on, don't jump ahead. So here, I'm going to read this. Here it goes. This is really good. So he gets there. He goes to Jesse's house, and he says, Jesse, I've been sent by God to anoint the next king of Israel, and one of your sons is it. I would like you to bring your sons to me, and I'm going to ask God which one it is. So Jesse lines up his seven sons. Seven, he's lined up. Okay, just go with the story. You might, I know, you guys are going to catch me on this. But here we go. It says, um, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed that stands before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider um, his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Um, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This is what God tells Samuel. He says, because, you know, you see Samuel walk up, you go, ooh, the oldest son, this guy. I mean, come on, kingly tall and he's good looking and all this kind of stuff and God goes no 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 I'm looking for something different God looks at the heart and then Jesse called um, Abinadab they all have funny names and you go 
and he passed in front of him, and Samuel said, is this the one? And God says, no. Jesse then had Shammah, not Shammu, but Shammah, pass by. And Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen him. Jesse had seven sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, um, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all of your sons? There is, and then Jesse replies, there is still the youngest, but he is just tending the sheep out in the field. Samuel said, send for him, and we will not even sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy and with a fine appearance and a handsome kid. This was David. Okay, David wasn't even brought in by his own father in the lineup. David, this is the King David that we know very, very well, the man after God's own heart. He was, what was he doing while all these great, you know, important festivities were happening with the prophet of God at their house? He was a shepherd in a field nearby what town? Bethlehem. Ah! Anyway, I freaked out at this. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. But listen, here's this really, really wild part. Get this. David was not only the youngest son of Jesse, but he wasn't even a legit son of Jesse. Get this right here. You read this. David wrote it himself, okay? In Psalm 51.5, he said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. That means sin. And in sin, my mother conceived me. What do you think that might mean? There was a bit of an affair that happened. Jesse went and found another lady. And David was born by another lady, not his wife. That's crazy, right? This is like amazing. Was that fun that we did that? I don't know why that happened. It's the Holy Spirit. Just anyway. All right. Um, I'm so lost now. Listen. David was an illegitimate child of Jesse's. And when the prophet of God came and said, bring me your sons, I'm going to anoint the next king, Jesse was like ashamed of David and was like, I'm not bringing him into this situation because that's a prophet of God. He hears from God. He's going to know right away that David's not legit. And I could, this whole thing could get messed up. My son's about to become the king. I can't mess this up by bringing my screwed up kid who was a oopsie out of wedlock, baby. Right? I know. You start going like the Bible's got raw crap in it. It's not like, oh, and then the shepherds came. Like, my gosh, it's like these little nativity scenes in front yards almost make me want to scream. I'm like, there is like way too much happy going on. And like, oh, it's like there's just like this not a depiction of the real world that people lived in. Now listen, obviously as we know, David comes in and Samuel goes, is this the one? And God goes, that's my anointed guy right there. Okay, now this is wild because then shortly after that, he's anointed to be the king and take over for Saul. Saul had been a good guy at the beginning. God chose him and then he turned his heart against God and he got all screwed up and God actually withdrew his favor from Saul. Saul ended up getting tormented in his mind and he had all these issues. And so he says to his assistants, he says, I need something to ease my mind because he actually lived in psychiatric chaos because he had hardened his heart to God. This is King Saul, right? So then one of his, uh, his 
you know, helper people or was, you know, what are they called, servants or whatever, was like, oh, I know this, this son of Jesse. You heard of this kid? He's this young kid. He plays the harp really well. We should have him come and play, and maybe that'll soothe your mind. Because guess what? Music has a power to transform your mind. So they brought David in on a regular basis to play with, to play his harp for Saul. And when David would play, now David's anointed to be the king and take over for Saul, but Saul doesn't know this yet because that'd be bad because if he knew that, he'd probably kill him because Saul was like demented and didn't want to lose his throne. And all this stuff, David plays, okay, he does this for a couple of years and then he goes back home and then Saul would just call him when he needed him to get his brain straight because literally he was like something in this music that David plays before the Lord sets my mind straight. There's a reality in that. I don't want to go in. Anyway, but you catch this? So then it's really wild because then five years later, David shows up to fight the big giant, right? So David, prior to the whole giant thing, was already a you know anointed king. So he came with a little bit of confidence probably, and he's like, hey, and Saul's like, who are you? This is how demented Saul was. He didn't even recognize David, who had been the only source of peace for his mind for five years. And David shows up and says, I'll fight the giant. What is this? How does, you know, and Saul's like, well, who are you? I'm like, Come on, boy. Like, it's like, uh, dude, you here? Like, craziness stuff happens. But David, obviously, as we know, defeats Goliath, goes on, serves Saul, starts winning crazy victories, and there's all this really amazing power of the reality. Like, David went out and just brought heaven upon cities, which meant killing them all. This is, again, listen, we are so spoiled, so spoiled by the grace of God that exists after the cross, that in a world prior to Jesus, if your city was full of sin and awfulness, I think Vegas would have gone up in flames a long time ago. No, I, you know, like literally we get to a place where we've become so comfortable with the fact that there is grace given and sin was paid for that we forget that God had to take entire cities and wipe them out by the power of heaven, not the power of hell, because the sin was so great in the city and God had to demonstrate how severe sin actually is. It wasn't his desire to kill people but he had to make it very clear that sin leads to destruction and it's very severe. And that's what painted the picture all the way to the birth of Christ. What? There's something so insane that shifted at the cross that for the first time, God didn't have to smite you for your sin. But man, there's part of my mind that I just go like, God, at least in my mind, keep me in a place that knows that there was a time different than this. That my sin doesn't just go like, oh, man, I, I screwed up again. Dang, God, I'm glad I get to go back to church this week and just be okay. Like, that was not so in a time before the cross, before the blood of Jesus that we were singing about in this song. Something so dramatic shifted right there. But David was this incredibly unlikely candidate to be chosen by God. When he looked at his situation, he was a shepherd, outcast, not even necessarily loved by his dad. In that culture, typically the youngest son was the most loved by their father. We see this in other Old Testament stories culturally. That was like my prized child, you know, Benjamin, good name, right? Was the most loved son of Jacob. 
the youngest, the twelfth, another dysfunctional family. The twelve sons of Jacob were to four different women over a period of several different years. Those were the twelve tribes of Israel that are God's chosen people. What in the world? God is so interested in using dysfunctional, messed up families, unlikely people, not the altogether put together, got it right, settled, and all good. So guess what? That's really good news because how many of you have ever dealt with feeling insignificant or unqualified? A few of you are like awesome in here that have never ever been like, oh, dude, I am so there. I am the dude. I am the girl. I have got it together. Who are you in the room? Raise your hand that have never had a, say, a second of self-doubt. Ever, ever? Never. That's amazing. Lay hands on me afterwards, PJ. I love PJ. I'm so glad you're here tonight. Seriously, I miss you. Anyway, um, do you get this reality, guys? Self-doubt is like this thing that clouds our, our ability, and it's a total lie of the enemy to try to take the holiday season of Christmas and clouds people's minds with this idea that it's all about your current circumstances, what's going on in your life, and I don't even want to do this holiday thing. Like, it's amazing. Most of you probably don't witness a huge amount of this, but we see it in the church world as pastors and leaders, is that the holiday season seems to bring up this insane amount of spiritual warfare insane like people's hurts and injuries and pains and like all these struggles and things just kind of go like it's like it's like the holiday season like we're supposed to be happy it's like insane time like some of your households might might experience that and i get that maybe every day come on but listen there's a reason listen there's a reason that spiritual warfare rises at certain specific times because there's a celebration of what it was that Jesus came and did at these times of the year. Like Christmas marks something so significant. But I love this whole fast forward to the story that when Jesus was born in the stable, who did God send his angels to, t- to tell about it? Shepherds in a field outside Bethlehem the rejects of society. Let me tell you, in this culture, the shepherds were the dudes who just weren't good around people. So you put them with the sheep. I'm serious. This was like the social outcasts that were like, I would rather just go spend, because you had to watch sheep all the time. 24 hours a day, you'd sleep across the opening of the little pen thing so they wouldn't escape. But that was what you did. You were a shepherd, and you didn't have a lot of human contact. You had your sheep to talk to, and that's weird. But of all the people... That God could have sent an angel to. He didn't go like, oh, let's get the government leaders. Let's, I bet they're all having a meeting tonight. Let's just go like send the angels and announce that the new king has arrived. It's like, no, the angels choose the unlikely. Probably the last one you would have chosen if you were writing the Christmas story. You would have been like, I love some of the Christmas YouTube videos that kids do and stuff. It's like, should we go tell the shepherds? Like, you know. But God's way of doing things and the way that he depicted things is like unbelievable. And you just see all these little links back to where God was pointing to that night, to the coming of his son. It was like even in the depths of a sinful world where he still had to deal with sin in such a harsh reality, he was pointing and saying, Bethlehem, Bethlehem, the shepherds, the ones no one expects, Bethlehem. 
As you know, I get all excited about the wise men because we're pretty sure they were from the what? Where were they from? The wise men from the east came, right? And who, what? They were called the Magi, right? Do you remember anywhere else in the Old Testament when Magi are spoken of? There was this dude you've heard of really well who was known as the chief of the Magi in a city, in a country, in a kingdom east of Bethlehem. His name was Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar named him as the chief of all of his Magi a couple thousand years before Jesus came. And there's all this like speculation and study that shows that Daniel had developed a school in teaching people to watch the stars, to look for what God was saying because the prophecies were all over the Old Testament saying there will be a Savior. The Messiah will come. I'm going to send him and I'm gonna, he's going to be the king and the, he's going to take over and all this. And the Jews got it all twisted up and they're like, ooh, we're looking for a great and powerful ruler. God said, no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send a baby, and I'm going to tell the shepherds. And the Jews were like, no, this doesn't work in our way of thinking. But God was all the way back. God, you know what? I'm going to get Daniel, who, again, was another guy in a really bad circumstance, who knew that God knew what he was doing, so he stayed in the palace of an evil, evil, evil Nebuchadnezzar and even allowed himself to be called the chief of the like sorcerers or the magi, the wise men. But what Daniel did is transformed a kingdom in such a powerful way that what we saw was this school of the prophets, the school of the dreamers. Daniel was a dream interpreter. He studied the stars. He prayed to God. He taught that. And we see thousands of years later, at least a thousand years later, three magi from the east that saw in the stars there was a sign that the Messiah had come, and they traveled for two years, I think. I don't know. Maybe it was two months. Maybe they had to prep it, and I don't know exactly how long. From Babylon to, ba- to, well, it was actually, I think, in Egypt when they actually found Jesus. They had to follow the star because it led them when Jesus was two. So there were no magi at the nativity scenes. So if you have one at home, go, like, put them off on the east. I'm just kidding. No, don't do that. Your mom will be like, what have you done? Like, but the Magi came because they knew God had already set up the, the table a thousand or more years before for Daniel to train people. Look at the stars. God's going to show you. God's going to show you when this Messiah comes. So keep an eye. Who is it that's going to be an astrologer? That I forget who I'm. That was in Lyft on Sunday. What? Talia. Christner wants to go into like astrology and the whole thing and I think that's powerful because God is still doing what he's always done and Satan is still doing what he's always done and he's taking the great things of God and he's twisting them and making them horoscopes and then all the Christians go oh Satan touched it we shouldn't have anything to do with the stars anymore it's creepy no we need to go and say, what are you saying through the stars, God? Forget the stupid horoscope. It's not going to dictate my life because the horoscope is just Satan's twist of God's truth. And he actually knows what he's doing, and he has been from the moment he spun the stars into existence at creation and said, that one go there and that one go there. And in 6,000 years, you're going to travel around. You're going to, bing, pop above a little town called Bethlehem where the shepherds are out there. That's crazy. Now, listen, this is the coolest part to me, and we're going to end with this. 
This guy named David, as you know, wrote all the Psalms. And I think this was the ticket right here. That, that made, listen, give me a minute. The ticket that took David from being the unlikely, unchosen, illegitimate child of Jesse to take the throne of Israel, to be known as the man after God's own heart, to write a great, significant chunk of the Old Testament that we study today, was a guy who said this prayer in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way that's everlasting. This was the heart of a shepherd boy who nobody else thought was qualified. Said, this was the prayer in his heart. God, look at my heart. Is there anything in it that doesn't honor you? Is there anything in it that you could pull out and show to me that I can deal with because I want you to lead me in the way that's everlasting? That's a man after God's own heart. So here's the deal. We've all dealt with insecurities, feeling unqualified. Guess what? God likes picking people that think they're unqualified but are willing to say, God, weed through my heart. What in there doesn't line up with you? I want to see what you're doing way before it happens. Does this make sense? So stand up with me. All right, don't, don't disconnect, guys. Shh, ladies. I'm talking to you too. Come on. Here we go. I want you to close your eyes right now. And I don't, like, wherever you're at on this, you decide. But I want to lead you through this prayer that David prayed right now. And I want to encourage you to repeat it after me. Not repeat it to me. Don't repeat this to me. I want you to repeat it after me. If something in your heart says, you know what, I've felt unqualified. I've felt like that little shepherd boy that nobody expects to do anything super great. And maybe you think, oh, no, I'm totally called to something great, and that's true. You are. Maybe you've gotten the revelation. You've grown up in an environment like Life Center that tells you, no, you are called to do amazing things. You are going to do things. David was anointed king and said, David, you're going to rule all of Israel. His life from that point on for the next, like, 35, 40 years sucked at times. But never in that place did he go, I quit. I give up. It's better if I didn't exist. He just said, God, search my heart. Is there anything in me that's unlike you, that's unpleasing to you? He latched onto a reality that said, God knows what he's doing, and I'm going to chase after him and let him do as he sees fit around my life, and I know I'll stand in victory when it's over. How many of you want to stand in victory right now and when it's over, your whole stinking life? How many of you have felt disqualified from that? Like, I don't know if I'm going to win. Come on. Close your eyes and repeat this prayer with me to God. Search me, O God. And know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me into the way everlasting. 
Guys, I guarantee every one of you in this room has been marked by God for incredible things that he will have for you to do. You get an opportunity to go, nope, I'm going to do my thing. And it's going to work out really good for you for whatever amount of time till it fails. But at some point in your heart, in your life, you've got to decide, God, I want to latch on to the thing you've called me into because I want to be led into the way everlasting, not this week lasting. Because you can probably figure it out for a few years in your life. You probably can be like, God, forget it. I don't want you, whatever. There will come a point when God is going to say, hey, I'm still here. But man, the torment, the hurt, the heartache that goes in the process of coming down off of a self-elevated life that says, I built this thing and it broke. And now I've got to try to stand up under this thing that doesn't. I Talk about pain and heartache to be in that place. Start today and say, God, examine my heart. Clean me up. Wherever I've been, whatever I've done, clean me up. Take me forward and onward. I want the way everlasting. You can latch on to this thing, and I guarantee you won't question me a hundred years from now when we're standing in heaven going like, that was insane what he did. But if David looked at his circumstances anywhere along the way at different times when he's hiding in a cave being hunted by Saul who wanted to kill him, he would have given up and quit. You guys aren't quitters. You're victorious. You're winners. You can take this thing, but you've got to do it with the Lord. So put your hands up. I'm just going to bless you all. God, I thank you for these unbelievable called and anointed young people, God, that you've anointed for great purposes, like Samuel anointed David to be a king. We don't need a king anymore. You're the king of our world, God. But you're a king who likes to delegate. And you've looked over this room of young people and you've said, you are going to lead this. You are going to be in charge of this. You are going to totally transform your family. You are going to transform this sports industry. You are going dis- like, to transform the, the media industry. You're going to go and teach in schools and transform lives. You're going to go and be a pastor. You're going to go be an actor, an actress, a dancer, like whatever. God has anointed you like Samuel did with David. For a purpose. God, I thank you for the purpose on each and every one, God. And I pray their hearts would be connected to you and say, God, examine me. Reveal anything that doesn't look like you in me, God. That I can be transformed into the thing that you have called me to be, God. That I can be truly who I am. God, I pray that you will reveal the glory of your goodness in the process, God. There's hard times that come. There's great times that come. God, I pray there would be a great victory that this generation walks in because they, they said, we're going to do this. And those of us who are a little bit older than you can stand and go, yeah, we're going to support you. We're going to carry you through this. We're going to pray you through this. We're going to challenge you, and we're going to cheer with you when things are amazing. We're going to hug you and hold you and pray with you when crap hits the fan and it doesn't make sense. 
but God is still knows what he's doing. He's still in charge. And the anointing he's put on your life, he wants to see come fully to fruition. So God, I thank you that this Christmas season, God, we can just celebrate the reality that you knew from day one what you were doing and you still do, and you're not missing, you're not absent, you're involved, God. Thank you for your love for everyone. Thank you for the cross that changed it all, God, that gave us such a free access to you. It's ridiculous, God. We never, ever want to squander that. Oh, you're such a powerful God, and this is a wonderful life we live because we stand before the most holy God, redeemed by the blood of his Son. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. This podcast was recorded live at a Wednesday night youth meeting. To find out more, check us out on Facebook and Instagram by searching Airborne Youth.